Happy Friday and welcome back and thanks for spending the week with us here on the Apollo 13 Minute, a show where each and every day Monday through Friday we go over one minute of probably the greatest space history movie ever made, the 1995 Ron Howard directed feature Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm your other host, I'm Chris Henry from the EAA Aviation Museum. Jim, you know, I, I, I've said it probably a, a hundred times now since we're at episode 120. Um, my favorite episodes are the ones that uh, we have some guests, and uh, uh, today we're very fortunate to have Adam White from Hemlock Films on with us. Uh, Adam is uh, a professional filmmaker. He's made some amazing aviation documentaries. He works on uh, all kinds of actual films that uh, you might see on the big screen, but for me, my it's near and dear to my heart because he makes aviation documentaries that are... Uh, just uh, very touching and very sincere and genuine. So uh, lucky to have him as a friend and, and on as a, as a guest on the show. Adam, thank you for coming on. Oh, it's my pleasure. I, uh, I am greatly honored that you asked me to be a part of this. Absolutely. It, uh, we're like, who could we drag on? I'm like, I know just the guy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, and it's, it, you also recently did a movie about uh, – the Space Coast, not that long ago. We did. Uh, we did a movie for PBS called Space Chase USA, uh, and it was released last year in 2019 for the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 landing. And uh, as Caro always says, the mo- movie came from uh, my brain. Um, and almost <laughs> all of the movie, if there's anything that I know and have more near and dear to my heart, uh, more than aviation, that would be... Uh, space uh, and the exploration of it. So to do to do a movie about the Apollo program, uh, I kind of wrote it all from memory, which it was a fairly low budget. So it kind of uh, that was a good time for me to pull one of those out. <laughs> oh, I, I I enjoy the space. Co- I, I I grew up on this on the space coast watching the Apollos and things. So uh, being having the opportunity, I mean, the, one of the reasons I got into doing podcasting was so that I have an excuse to talk to my, my heroes. And I get the feeling, Adam, I get the feeling that you do this thing just so you can, you can do the stuff you really want to do, which is getting in a plane and chasing other, other aircraft or spacecraft as the case may be. We do. Um, it's, uh, uh, a lot of the time, you know, I, that's, that's probably always in the back of, uh, our minds. Um, uh, making any movie, uh, is a really, really difficult long-term endeavor. So if you're able to love what you're doing and love the subject, it takes the edge off uh, that much uh, more. So uh, by the flip side of that is when we are hanging out the back of a B-25 or we're doing barrel rolls over a formation in the bubble, shooting out the bubble canopy of a Mustang, um, sometimes uh, you forget to enjoy uh, the moment because you're so busy uh, trying to obtain the footage, uh, and so everybody's not wasting uh, all the gas that they're burning and all the man hours of maintenance on those historic aircraft. Uh, sometimes uh, it does take uh, 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 maybe write a write a note on your hand. Hey, stop for a second and enjoy what you're doing, because uh, a lot of my memories of doing uh, the aviation uh, cinema stuff uh, comes from watching my footage. <laughs> 
uh, going, oh, right, I enjoyed that, instead of just, you know, <laughs> absorbing it through my eyes and ears and, and nose and brain. Yeah, trying to have a good, trying to have a good time while you're having a good time is is often difficult. That you have to remember remember to have have a good time while you're doing it. Um, let's talk a little bit more about about your Space Coast movie. How how did you how did you cover uh, this 50th anniversary? The uh, the angle that was being sought by the particular PBS station, uh, uh, WUCF in Orlando, and all of PBS is sort of a loose conglomerate of stations. It's not really a top down network. Uh, so even Ken Burns works through a local station. That would be the D.C. station. Uh, but the local station in Orlando wanted to take the uh, angle that nobody was covering, which was how uh, the space race affected Cocoa Beach, Florida, which was just a really tiny, sleepy little beach town that uh, had a few vacationers, and that was it. And then in, from 1960 to 1970, they had a 1,000% population increase. Uh, and they wanted to talk about, they wanted a movie that sort of talked about that, how it affected them positively, negatively, and everything in between. Uh, which, uh, what Cocoa Beach sort of got is a uh, roller coaster ride when it comes to the programs. And you can pretty much guess when Cocoa Beach was up and when Cocoa Beach was down based on what was going on with the programs. Uh, and what I was able to discover in doing something like this was uh, that they've gotten a lot smarter. Uh, when it comes to trying to diversify and uh, when the swings happen the edges are taken off because when Apollo left town when that program was canceled guys uh, walked away from their house they would just leave the keys in the door and drive away because nobody in, was going to buy a house in Cocoa Beach Florida uh, and subsequently a lot of towns uh, around the country had the same problem Seattle had the same problem with Boeing and if you had your wagon hitched to the space program in a hard way, uh, it kind of hurt. And the same thing happened when the shuttle retired. So doing uh, a movie about the Apollo program like this that I kind of got to do sort of a social economic uh, uh, portrait. And I also got to uh, have, uh, have a relishing of the great triumphs of the space uh, race and also the downturns um, that in talking, you know, when 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 the space program triumphs, Cocoa Beach triumphs, and when it's a bad day, it's a bad day for Cocoa Beach. And when the Apollo One fire occurred, um, that, that was all, uh, the country took a hit, but also that town took a hit because so many of their residents were working at the spaceport at that time. Uh, and this wasn't uh, something that happened at NASA somewhere far flung. This happened, you know, across the bay there that three astronauts were killed. And, uh, you know, there was, there was a, a couple of dark days when we're here at, the, uh, here at our office when we're editing it and you're listening to the Apollo 1 fire broadcasts uh, unedited. Uh, um, so, you, you know, you start feeling that pretty, pretty deeply along with listening to, you know, uh, the Apollo 8 astronauts reading from Genesis. So in doing a movie like that, you get every, and I, I, I feel strongly to show every part of it, but uh, when you're making a movie like that, you feel every corner of it, the ups and the downs. Yeah, it, it's amazing how, um, I mean, this is this is now 50 years plus in our past, and, but it's just, it to me, being, a, being of that age, it feels 
still like current events. And w- what you were saying about having it being Cocoa Beach and Titusville and and Melbourne and all those towns were company towns. It's like a, it's like when a coal mine shuts yes. down and every, everything just blew out of the place. Um, I can recall being in the uh, in the J.C. parking lot in Titusville watching uh, Apollo 17 uh, launching. And there was, although there was a lot of excitement, there was a lot of melancholy because this was it. This was the end. And uh, the town was still happening. I mean, they had the, the uh, Miracle, Miracle City Mall and a bunch of other places. Uh, I was down there a few years back, and uh, the J.C. Penney's was just closing, and they had flattened all the other uh, retail stores in town. And that was, you know, the end of the shuttle program kind of signified the end. There is now, though, a rebirth, as you were saying, that they've diversified, they've built more things. There's more players in uh, in this next phase of uh, of exploration. So uh, it's it's just interesting how it's constantly being reworked. I mean, it's almost like you know you go to Rome and there's different different right. ages of Rome. It's it's kind of like God, there's there's so so much stuff built up on the old things. Yeah, you know, you you just reminded me of was uh, growing up in Pittsburgh uh, as a kid in the '80s. Uh, you know, I, I was there at the tail end of Steel. You know, Steel was yeah. was was leaving, and I could vividly remember there was a place called J and L Steel, uh, Steel, which was was kind of famous in its day, and I could vividly remember them uh, blowing the factory up and the smokestack coming down, uh, and it was it was heart, you know, I, it was heartbreaking. I mean, because uh, that was just always there as a kid, and then suddenly, you know, there's this big empty lot. I mean, this giant empty lot the size of multiple football fields. Uh, where there's just nothing, and uh, and Pittsburgh went through a rough time. I mean, uh, it, it it was rough in a way when the steel mills were there because of pollution, and and uh, you know my mom talks about sweeping uh, you know soot off of the cars and stuff when they would go to school and whatever, and and it got this reputation of a dark, dingy, uh, you know, dirty city, and then when that all went away, um, yeah, the pollution was gone, but now there's no jobs. Um, and luckily, it reinvented itself. Uh, the medical industry is pretty big in uh, in Pittsburgh, and um, you know it, now you can actually fish in the rivers, and you generally don't have to sweep soot off your car or anything. But uh, it was a it was an interesting time to be in that city and, and see that you don't realize it's going on at the time. You're just this is this is just everyday life. Everybody knew somebody that was a steel worker and was out of work, and and now uh, you know you've got to figure out how to come back from it. Yeah, it, it's 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 so you know it's so peculiar. I, there, I used to where I lived in. Uh, this is a bit of a stretch, but where I lived in uh, New Jersey, there was a um, there was a signpost in front of my house that said, or uh, down the street from my house that said "End Measured Mile." It was a state a state highway, and they had a they had a place where you could measure check your car's odometer with with a measured mile. And this old rusty sign that said "End Measured Mile" was there, and I used to bike. I had a, you know, on my bike had a little odometer on it, and I used to bike in just about every direction I could to try to figure out where the beginning of that measured mile was, and I could never find that sign. That sign had either been knocked down or swiped or something, but it, it's one of those things that you don't know, you don't, you might not realize when something started, but you you, you kind of know when it's over, and that's what I keep feeling when you see the last, you know, the last mission or the the last that when they're blowing up a a smokestack, you're like, well, that's that's the end of that. But you may not have realized all the things that had led up to this point where it was suddenly going to be out of your life. Um, and I think it, now the, here's here's the big stretch. This this kind of ties into this minute because this is the last minute that uh, Fred Hayes, who 
Uh, well, you know, both Jim Lovell and Fred Hayes had trained in that particular lunar module for a mission that never happened. And uh, they're, uh, we're seeing, you know, Fred, Fred's suffering from a, from a really bad infection and he's got a fever. Uh, Lovell gives, uh, gives Fredo a hug and says, you know, it's going to be warm. We're going to be landing in the ocean. But this is their last moments in, uh, in something that they had trained for for years. And now it's, it's all over. Neither of them would go to the moon again. Uh, at least uh, Fredo would, would head, for, head for space. And, uh, well, you know, he, he'd, he'd fly again in the shuttle. But, uh, you know, this was this was the end of a big, long trip that both of them had been on. And uh, there's there's a lot of endings going on in, in this this particular week of shows that we're coming up to. So uh, it, it must have been. And if if we do get uh, Jim Lovell on the show, not that we're saying we're, we will. But if we do, if we do have him in the show. I would like to know what the last few minutes, what it, what it must have felt like to be uh, in this machine that, that kept them alive, but didn't go on the mission that he wanted. I kept thinking that it may, it must have felt like driving your car to the car dealership to go and get a new car. Yeah. There's that kind of feeling that, yeah, like you're excited to get a new car, but you also feel kind of guilty for giving rid of the old one, you know? Like, yeah, because it's, like, it's, it's usually like just some guy comes out from the back and gets in it and just drives around the corner and you never see it again. You're like, yeah. I feel like I'm about to hear a gunshot to it. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I'll, I'll tell you the worst feeling is I had a uh, uh, my charger which I just loved, and then I got my Challenger that I have now, and um, I had a stripe on it that uh, on the old car that you could definitely figure out that it was my car, and um, my buddy saw it at a car dealership like maybe two months later, you know, oh. on a, on the lot for sale, and he took a picture and sent it to me, and it was like. It was like seeing an ex-girlfriend or something <laughs> like that, you know. It, was, it felt horrible. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that, and that—that's most. I mean, I keep thinking of as they were as they were offloading all the stuff, you know, the the lunar module plaque that they didn't use and the armrests and stuff. They were probably looking, even though you know they were they were compressed for time, so in, they had five minutes to say goodbye to all of this. But it just must have been. I'm never going to see this stuff. It's all going to wind up at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. Uh, it just must, must be a horrible feeling that yeah, I guess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw an article that some of the lunar module uh, ascent stages may be floating around out there still. Yeah, Apollo uh, Apollo Ten. They they think it was identified as an asteroid, but now they're thinking, oh wait, that's <laughs> doing the math. Jeez. That it actually turned out that it's an ascent stage that's in a heliocentric orbit. Wow. Um, so that would be quite a mission if they could. I mean, if they can launch. Yeah, if they can launch a Tesla into space, they can bring back an, an ascent. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the trick is wrapping it up to get it home. That's, uh, but uh, who knows? You know, it's, it's it's always a possibility, and it would stretch the technology enough to to make it worthwhile. Um, I'd want to see it. I'd go. I'd go visit it, and I hope they put it in in Oshkosh. We'll see. <laughs> I'd love to show up at the restoration team with the service module from Apollo 13, and just here you go, guys. Let's figure out how to display this. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, but uh, I, I, now we've been watching the different uh, the different episodes. Uh, definitely, Kevin Bacon is uh, in zero gravity. He's he's in the uh, the vomit comet getting filmed. Do you think that the uh, the scene here with uh, Lovell and Hayes? Do you think that they are in the vomit comet? I, I get the feeling they're on bungee cords. Yeah, I I think uh, um, you know just like anything else uh, that if if you don't see it on screen, it's not happening. 
um, that if you have a smaller stature actor, if you don't see his feet, it's guaranteed he's going to be on a box. Um, yeah. And the same thing goes that when they were making 13, uh, that, you know, guys were on teeter-totters with uh, grips just off screen, sort of give, making them float around and that sort of thing. So if you do not see uh, floating happening, then there is not floating happening. Because I'm sure you guys talked about at length how they worked the Vomit Comet, that it was not a pleasant experience. So if they didn't have to shoot that shot there, then let's not do that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's kind of, kind of a pricey, pricey, especially when you want to go for a take four or, or take six. six. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I do want to put out, and I and I, I, I have to because Fredo made it a point to call it out. Uh, Fred said that his only problem with this part of the movie is he was not that frail. Um, he said, uh, he says, boy, they had to buckle my seatbelt for me at one point, you know. And, and uh, he said, I, I, I was not that sick. <laughs> so... Uh, you got to tell a story. That's the thing. It's a, it's the, exactly. That's, that's, exactly. That's the part of this. Wow. Um, it, do you have Do you have a favorite? Sp- I mean, besides your own, Adam. Do you have Do you have a favorite space movie? Oh, it's a. Uh, I mean, that's that's a. Even within genres, that's a very wide uh, 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 swath of movies. Um, you know, uh, when it comes to. Uh, science fiction films or, or narrative uh, 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 true films or documentaries uh, that's you know pr- I probably have a top five and okay, uh, yeah, but... that I would never be able to put in any particular uh, order over each other but um, certainly the right stuff is in there uh, um, and again it, it's it, you look at each one for the success that it does in particular ways to make the audience slash me uh, feel while watching it. And I think The Right Stuff has a lot of successes when it comes to that. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, just from a variety of different things, uh, that's uh, stuff like uh, The Wrath of Khan. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love the Horatio Hornblower uh, uh, operatic aspect to it all. Um, uh, much in the same way, this was just on the other day. I think uh, the Wrath of Khan and Hunt for Red October are very, very similar uh, when it yeah. comes to films like that. Um, and then uh, we just watched it the other night because uh, we have uh, an outdoor movie theater now. The first drive-in movie that I ever went to go see was The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, oh wow! When I was uh, let's say nine, um, that uh, I went and sat on the roof of my dad's uh, 68 Mustang and watch that uh, um, uh, adjust my trajectory. Not as much as what Star Wars did. Star Wars, I went and saw that when I was six years old, and that probably affected me more than anything else in my life. Um, and which is, I think that's true. My film teachers in college got sick of that because people kept coming into college going, I'm getting in the film because I saw Star Wars. And they're like, oh, geez, all right. Yeah, we get it. Another one. Um, which, uh, as a true story, my parents, uh, Star Wars was the second movie that I ever saw. The first one, my parents, for some reason, took me to see when I was five. Uh, we went to go see Neil Simon's Chapter Two. Uh, so uh, they took me to a two-hour movie of a bunch of grown-ups talking in rooms. And I thought <laughs> movies, uh, movies were the worst thing that you could possibly make a human go see. Uh, and then they, a year later, they said, we're going to go see a movie. And I kicked and screamed and cried the whole way there because movies are bad. <laughs> movies are terrible. 
and then I'm because you're five and you don't sit, so I'm standing in the aisle, and then the big star destroyer flies over in the opening shot, and then uh, the rest was history after that. Uh, so, so if if it weren't for Star Wars, you'd be an accountant, right? Now. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually maybe I actually would have been an aerospace engineer as opposed to just making movies about them. <laughs> My first movie that I uh, that I got to see. Um, you know, full, that it was a big deal. You know, I mean, I'm sure I saw movies on TV, but um, actually probably not because I remember, long story short, but anyway, the first time my mom brought home a movie, she it, she rented it. It was this big deal that they would rent you VHS tapes. Uh, and this was like a new thing at the grocery store, you know. Uh, totally new. It was, the, it was the only video rental place around. Like, so this was like a big deal. But she brought home this brand new movie called Top Gun. And I mean, and I'm like, all right, cool. We'll watch, you know, this will be interesting. It was not a cartoon, so I'm not sure if I'll enjoy it. And I mean, of course, it was like, oh my god, like, you know, I've I've got to go do this. Um, the second movie, really comical. I've got to tell you this story. Um, they're like, well, we'll let you watch this movie. This ought to be good. It's about, um, you know, you know, a fish out of typical fish out of water type movie. Um, they didn't realize who the lead actor was. Um, but they uh, they sat me down and uh, my uncle came over and they popped in Beverly Hills Cop and I wow. was like six and <laughs> was like I'm like dude like I like this is the funniest thing I've ever seen in my entire life like <laughs> you know um, I began saying words that I wasn't supposed to that I got in trouble for and I'm like well Eddie Murphy you know said that word and they're like. <laughs> Yeah, but you will not. And uh, uh, the only other, the other funny story I've got to tell this. I have to tell this because I'm going to try and get through this without laughing myself. My friend, who's my friend Tom, who's very, um, very PC and very proper and very, you know, doesn't say words out of line or anything like that. And his dad is the same way. They're great people, good dear friends. I lived with Tom for a good while. Um, but he told me the story that I, I just, I had to take like a half hour to catch my breath. Um, they went to go see a movie together that they thought was about a uh, a gentleman who was studying in the United States and what he found. And what they actually went to go see was Borat. <laughs> and, I, and it was like the uncut version of Borat. <laughs> and, you know, they get done and they go to leave. And, like, their family friends are there watching them come out of Borat together. And they're just like, what did you guys see? And his dad's like, uh, we saw Borat. It was Tom's fault. He wanted to see it, you know. <laughs> and there's some awful, uncomfortable scenes there. And uh, uh, just the, the, the story, to hear Tom tell that story about this awkward movie they had to see together just cracks me up. <laughs> wow. See, now, he, he should get a Movies by Minutes podcast. Uh, you know, we ought to have Tom on to just tell that story at some point. <laughs> yeah. And this is the time that I got really uncomfortable with my dad, you know, in this hotel wrestling scene. Uh, yeah, there, there's a podcast in there, Awkward Dad Moments. At the... Yeah, exactly. I got four that. or five to contribute to that. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> oh, wow. But a beautiful minute in any case. This is, uh, it's great seeing, uh, you know, it's it's a lem set with a wild walls, but you really do feel like you're inside the lunar module in this. I, I'm I'm very impressed by the, the cinematography of this movie and of it's a this is a tough it's tough filming anything inside of any kind of a ship and i think we can all agree on that so it's it's nice 
it's nice seeing that they were able to to get this done and and film it and still you don't feel like you're you know you don't get the impression you're looking at the set of a lunar module. No, you, it it, it feels like the tight phone booth that you know it was designed and um, uh, yeah yeah I mean there's stories of astronaut candidates that you uh, have heard where they jump up and down trying to compress their spine to get you know under the height limit uh, on some of uh, the uh, the uh, limits that were imposed for candidates um, uh, because you just couldn't be too big when we were doing rise above wasp uh, and we had to film in a real b29 uh, that's you know I'm six two I would have been the tall goon in any squad back in World War two. <laughs> Um, and trying for my big frame to go and jam. It's like, oh, we won't, you know, you storyboard. It's like, I want, and I'm sure this happened numerous times to uh, Ron Howard, that I want the camera here. And, well, my big dumb frame can't get in front of the co-pilot seat on a B-29. So um, we're going to have to figure something else out. And I'm sure in something like that, um, when they were making uh, the lunar module, they may have done a James Cameron trick. Uh, which he did in Titanic, uh, because uh, I don't know the height. And Bill Paxton's kind of a big guy. Uh, I don't know how tall Tom Hanks is, uh, but um, when he, when James Cameron did Titanic, he made uh, the entire set a certain percentage because it was always uh, talked about that uh, he had the original blueprints uh, from when they created the Titanic. He was making the sets directly from that, but all of the measurements they made were done a certain percentage larger than the original because people were bigger. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they did that with Fury. Uh with Fury they when they when they well, I mean, so obviously the Sherman tank is is a Sherman tank, but um when you see those interior shots of the turret, they made it like a I want to say they they did it like 110% or something like that, so it it jacked it up just a little bit to give them a little bit extra room, but uh, I heard I heard that about the big red one, Sam Fuller, that that they had done the inside of a tank in there, but it was larger than a tank because they couldn't fit every you yeah. know the lights and the camera and everything like that, so they they kind of blew it up a bit. My my favorite part of that is uh, I'm going to go off the rails, you know, like I always do, Jim. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, but my favorite part of <laughs> in Apollo 13 is similar, but in Fury, if you're watching World War II tank movie. Um, they did the work, and what I mean by that is just like Band of Brothers, when those guys went to, uh, you know, they went to a boot camp, uh, they went to some somewhat of a boot camp on Fury, but they went to tank school, and it's a simple little detail that I always thought was interesting. Was, um, um, geez, the lead. I'm trying to remember his name. Um, lead actor in Fury. Yes, Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt, yeah. Um, they taught him how to drive a Sherman and how to command a Sherman. They taught the crew how to operate a Sherman. And there's a scene at the very beginning when they pull into town. And they're going to go under some wires. And Brad Pitt just instinctively reaches back and he he, he pushes down on the antenna so that it, so that it rolls under the... Uh, the wire's okay. And, it, and it's just the way that he did it, that it's like, it looked like he did it a hundred times. Like, it was just old hat to him to reach back and make sure the antenna went underneath the, uh, you know, the <laughs> thing. And it, that's just, it's that kind of detail that, in my opinion, comes across as genuine on films like this. Yeah, it's especially in, like, historical ones. I, uh, by the way, Adam, you had me when you when you said Hornblower. I was like, I, I can't tell you. I, I actually have, I actually have a, a constantly updated um, uh, send list on my Amazon where I, if 
I find people who haven't read Hornblower, I send them beat to quarters. Um, it's like, wait, you haven't, here you go. What's your at? You know, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I, but yeah, I, yeah, I'm a sucker for that type of, uh, 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 naval, uh, whether it's, you know, uh, a billowing, uh, billowing sails, uh, a Star Trek movie, or if it's a submarine movie, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of in for the uh, duration if I see that yeah. on. Yeah. If it's, if it's captains versus captains, I, yeah. that's my favorite thing in the whole, in the whole world. So, you know, it's like, I'm always sending out beat the quarters just to get people to, I get evangelical about Hornblower. But, uh, I remember in, when they were filming master and commander, another, you know, Patrick O'Brien and all that, um, when they were filming, uh, master and commander, they actually took the, the, all the, all the main crew were put on a ship and they separated out the officers from the, uh, from the enlisted or the, you know, the impressed and, uh, and taught them how to, how to sail a ship. So when they're, when they're handling the ropes, they've all got rough hands from actually handling ropes. Um, yeah, that's just... the kind of details I love. Like, and Band of Brothers, the original cadre that went through that boot camp are the original Tacoa guys. And the replacements, they sent them through separately and an, and an abbreviated one. And they actually told them, the, the, the first round guys, that, yeah, they did it, but it was abbreviated. It wasn't as hard as what you guys had. And that kind of set this mood with them that it comes across on film. Like, that the replacements were kind of... You know, they were replacements. They weren't. They weren't the originals. You know, and uh, uh, it was very, very interesting. We did. Um, we've done a couple of things. James Matteo, who plays uh, Picante in in the in the film, or in in Band of Brothers, he's given. I've listened to him give talks before about that, and he said, you know, a lot of the uh, replacement actors when they would show up because they kind of shot the whole thing in order. So when the replacements would come in, that a lot of the veteran. Tacoa, quote unquote, uh, men actors, uh, they would uh, they would school the replacements, uh, just as you see on film as the replacements are coming in and the Tacoa men are giving them instruction. The actors actually did the same thing when new actors would come in. They kind of didn't really bond with them too hard, and also they would give them instruction on how you know it's like, hey, don't lay your prop. M1 in the you know on the picnic table like that you keep it like this you keep it by your side and they gave them the instructions in reality uh, because you know they were halfway there when it came to the mood anyway of the guys they were depicting so um, it, it carried over into the normal crew and cast life that usually doesn't and from what I heard because uh, uh, I've our film commissioner was a producer on both Band of Brothers and also From the Earth to the Moon. And he said it was not like that on From the Earth to the Moon. For some reason, Band of Brothers uh, went over the hill uh, when it when it came to that. That there, it was just a different thing. Uh, From the Earth to the Moon, everybody realized you know they did a good job and they knew they were making something important. It just for some reason did not have the same bonding experience as Band. Wow. I every time I watch Band of Brothers, I, I used to work for British Aerospace, and every time I watch Band of Brothers. Uh, I can't help but remember that most of the, like, anytime you see any uh, airfield scenes, they filmed it at the old British Aerospace uh, right. Airfield Aerodrome. And the the runway there, we used to, we when I'd fly from, I worked in D.C. and I would fly to uh, England, and the first thing I have to do is get go to Hatfield, get on a, a British Aerospace aircraft and fly up to uh, Manchester. 
And um, their runway, they, the British Aerospace never took care of its runways very well. So it was always like kind of pockmarked. And, and you, you'd, be, you'd be rolling down the runway and the, the, the plane would be hitting these divots <laughs> before it would take off. And, uh, and uh, I was talking with a, with a friend of mine uh, who also worked over there. And uh, he said they probably didn't have to do much to the airport to, to make it look like it was a bombed out you know, <laughs> French runway. <laughs> Because it really was. It was a, a, a horrible 1940s uh, runway that they've really never <laughs> maintained. But it, it, it's just strange thinking about all of the, all of those different events that they had staged there with just different parts of that airfield. Oh, yeah. They just rotated through uh, all yeah. of them. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, it's good. Well, it's nice to know it had a second life. Well, well, somewhere in all this, we were talking about, we were talking about Apollo 13. But yes. it, uh, I, think, I think we're all in agreement. Uh, Apollo 13 was a great movie. And there's... There's many more minutes to come, but Adam, thanks so much for being on the show, and and I I can't stress enough. Thank you so much for uh, helping us get together uh, with our other guests that we otherwise would not have been able to get to, except for your communicative skills uh, with uh, connecting computers and, and landmines. And <laughs> oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, it's uh, it, we we may be tasking you with that again soon. So <laughs> thank, just say the thank word. You, thank you in advance. Uh, but uh, again, uh, Adam, when people want to see uh, your works, where can they find you online? Uh, they can find me at hemlockfilms.com. Uh, everything that we've, almost everything that we've made is at flightcinema.com and is available on DVD and Blu-ray, except uh, Space Chase USA, which we actually are talking about. And that can just be found. You can watch that free online right now at pbs.org. That is awesome. Uh, well, as we usually say here at this at this point, if you want to find us on social media, you know all the usual places to go to. Apollo 13 Minute on Twitter or... Apollo 13 Mission Control on Facebook will get you to where we're at. Um, we've got a lot of great guests coming up in the next, uh, Adam, of course, you were one of them, but we've got a lot of guests coming up in these final 15 episodes uh, starting next week. So uh, please, everybody, if you join us back here, uh, all your typical places where you go find us, uh, you know the places, yeah, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, and all that. So just go out there you can find us, or go to the big site, Apollo13minute.com, and, uh, and you can listen to all of our previous 120 episodes. Wow. Anyway, we're getting uh, ready to come up on uh, Lost of Signal in about 30 seconds, so we will see you here next week. Have a great weekend, right here on the Apollo 13 Minute. Mm-hmm.